You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to The Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host. Joined by two of my very good friends, we've got... Benjamin J. Solzer there, associate performer. Ha, I am here. <laughs> and I'm associated with this program. <laughs> I was about to bump you up to regular performer, forget but it. that comment, forget, man. Forget it. That was so lame. <laughs> well, let's meet one of our executive performers. Oh. Jacob Menzel, pastor who's a master of just being sane yeah. and saying sane sounding things on a podcast about sanity. Hey, Jake. Hey, guys today well let me i'm just gonna say it we're We're about to get personal we're we're gonna get personal (laughs) i don't know how personal i don't don't know personality (laughs) tests we're talking about testy yeah (laughs) hey nathan i think you should bump jake down to associate performer associate performer fire ben (laughs) wait i can do that yeah go for it fired crud All right, turn off the laughing gas, Ben. Oh. The people want a podcast. (sighs) And guys, the podcast that that you're going to get today, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on a subject that I find to be absolutely fascinating. I don't know about you guys, but today we are talking, and then there's not like some, you know, sometimes we'll be like, there's a story in the news we're going to talk about, or there's a current event, or something happened, a movie came out. No, none of that this episode. We're just talking about it because we want to talk about it because we find this topic to be interesting, and it's a place where mm-hmm. I think we might feel a little tension, a little sanity, insanity, sure. pull, tug of war kind of thing going on. Personality tests. I yeah. absolutely love personality tests. All tests on the internet, I think you love. I love, Jake, I'm not going to say I love all tests on the internet, but I will say that the piece of garbage that I most resemble <laughs> is a crumpled soda can. <laughs> and I really did, true story, find that out the other day. <laughs> and you know, I felt pretty good about myself. I was like, of all the pieces of garbage I could be, a crumpled soda can is pretty cool. It's pretty cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Better than like a discarded apple or a banana peel or right. something, you know. Right. I don't know what the other... Which, I didn't... which Marvel superhero are you? I have been compared to Tony Stark. I'm a Slytherin. I'm, turn- I'm Belle. That's the Disney princess I most like. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm feisty and independent or something like that. I'm a sucker for these tests. <laughs> What's that? And, and I read. love to read. Yeah, probably. It was like, do you enjoy books? And I said yes. And then it was like, you're Belle. It, was, it didn't matter what you said from that point on. Yeah, basically. But <laughs> I, I am a sucker. I actually had to take myself off of Pinterest. I was on Pinterest for a minute and a half just to share some ideas with my lovely wife, the incandescent Meredith. And I took myself off because Pinterest is a mecca of those kinds of dumb, which <laughs> I can't even come up with something that's dumber than what the real which, ones. Which which Miyazaki character? Well, yeah, that, which that Mi- actually is a real one. Which yeah. Miyazaki character are you? If you were an arachnid, which one would you be? Those kinds of tests, I absolutely love them and i really Which like are really close in kind to personality tests like the myers-briggs and mm-hmm. well and, are, are uh, they Jake, the or should we take myers-briggs a little let me, let me tell you this i've done myers-briggs before i've done it for work or, or i've done things along those lines for work and i remember when i did it at one particular job it was really helpful not for me because 
it felt like it got everything about me wrong and it ended up giving me a real what felt maybe everyone else would be like this this nailed you nathan you just don't understand but it felt really jank but what was nice is the categories i was a supervisor at the time and they gave me the charts for everyone else and so i had these little keys that i could use for people where it would be like this person likes to they they, they, they love details they like a d if you're gonna tell them what to do as a supervisor you need to lay it out like step one step two step three step four this person hates details they just want to be told what to do and then they want to figure out so having those kinds of things was actually really, really helpful because I'd consult it and I got to know what people's personality types were and what their little, I don't remember, it wasn't Myers-Briggs, what their little numbers were or values or initials were. And it would be this mental placeholder that would help me supervise people, help me explain myself to people. I would consult it and then I would be like, oh, you like details. So I'm going to give you really detailed instructions, which is, I don't like details. I hate details. And hmm. I, I never, if, if a boss comes to me and wants to give me a detailed list, I'll just feel so oppressed by it. I just want to be told, this is what you need to get done, and then I want to have the freedom to do it my way. But some people aren't like that. And so having that key was really helpful. And then and since then, I've taken the Myers-Briggs or some version. Probably a lot of people have done the 16 questions. 16personalities.com yes. or something like that. Yeah. Which, is, which is that Myers-Briggs or it's basically it is. Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs. Yeah. yeah. It may not be like certified or... It, they I, adds a couple of things, another category of stuff, I think. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's I mean, Myers-Briggs. but it's free and in that case, has I've, nice little animations. And yeah, uh-huh. it's it's just fun to yeah. use. And in that case, I've taken the test a couple times. I've actually gotten the same result, and it was really helpful. It put me at fifty one percent extroverted, which has been an incredibly helpful way to think of myself because I enjoy being the life of the party. I like going on a podcast and being like the fun loving Nathan. I love all that stuff, and then I hate myself afterwards and feel really bad and do not feel energized at all when i get home from something like i'll really hey everybody hey and then i'll just want to curl up and die (laughs) having the extra biblical the not biblical categories of extrovert and introvert and then having myself placed on that spectrum by a computer program really helped me understand something about myself and put a finger nathan i've never told you this before but you know who else is also a 51 percent extrovert who's that me! Are you 51% yeah! extroverted? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's have a great time and then let's go home and curl up in a ball and die. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go to a break and we'll come back and talk about this in a minute. Hey, it's, it's the Hematologians. Today we're like totally talking about personality tests. Now, a lot of people like to knock personality tests. <laughs> knock. Hey, hey, BJ, knock, knock. Huh? I'm totally going to figure out who it is. Oh, who is it? <laughs> T- tomato. Tomato who? Aren't you glad I didn't say banana? <laughs> Shut up, CJ. I totally wanted you to say banana. Guys, we totally have to take the personality test for this episode, which is about personality tests. Question one, true or false? You were bothered by mistakes you made a long time ago. Ha! I don't make mistakes. BJ makes like 4,000 mistakes a day, though. Ha! Gah! Ha! Whatever, CJ. The only reason I ate that feather pillow is because I wanted to be a duck. And the only reason I married my first smoking hot wife was because she was so smoking hot. No mistake in that. But the reason I married my second smoking hot wife was because she has so much money. I think that anyone could save a lot of money by the time they're 85 years old. Shut up, BJ! You just... 
Jealous of my lady skills. <laughs> More like old lady skills. Next question. Also true or false, when looking for a movie or show to watch, you can spend ages browsing the catalog. Booyah! I always know exactly what I want from the catalog. There's that 150-piece puzzle on page 11 with Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Thomas is on there with Percy and Mr. Conductor. Uh, BJ, I wasn't talking about a catalog full of children's merchandise. Uh, if you were a man, you'd be looking at, like, instead of 150-piece puzzles, like... Thousands, thousands of pieces, puzzles. What do you think I am, CJ? A nuclear family? A scientist? Uh, more like Thomas the, the Stank Engine. Ha uh, <laughs> Booyah! True or false, you lose interest in the discussion when it gets philosophical. I love philosophy. You don't even know what philosophy means. That's because it's not a real word, idiot! Uh, when I talk to philosophy with my new smoking hot wife, she had trouble keeping up. Um, mostly because she was just chasing me with the skillet, telling me just to go... Living in my man cave, huh? Speaking of caves and philosophy, do either of you like Plato? Uh, obviously, I read The Republic in, like, kindergarten, so I guess you could say I like Plato. I love Plato! You can make your own Thomas the Tank Engine! I use red Plato and green Plato, ha ha ha. Also, did you guys ever read the allegory from Book 7 of The Republic regarding the theory of forms and the nature of true perception? More like the nature of true per BJ's dumb... Perception? Ha! How do you think of these witty comebacks? True or false, you always know exactly what you want. Anytime I go to McDonald's, I know exactly what I want. A cheesy gordita crunch from Taco Bell! You, like, totally like those things, like, too much, BJ. That's totally not true, AJ. There are lots of reasons to want to name my firstborn child. Gordita. <laughs> but what about the middle name, huh? Crunch is an awesome middle name. True or false, you often rethink your choices and wonder what you could have done differently. <laughs> BJ makes the dumbest choices. Like like that time he cut off his own hand, ha? Huh? Shut up, CJ. I was trying to decapitate a puppet. Moving right along, true or false, you have a hard time understanding other people's feelings. <laughs> I, I totally understand all the other people's feelings all the time. Like, for example, when my smoking hot wife... Her, her lips turn upside down. The water comes out of her, her eyes. She makes boo-hoo sounds, and it means uh, uh, she wants nachos or something. <laughs> water comes out of BJ's eyes when he watches Beauty and the Beast. Huh? Shut up, CJ. The ending gets me every time. I know, right? It's hard to think that Gaston's sacrifice was in vain. And speaking of vain, I thought Gaston was really vain and also really scary. I was glad when he got his comeuppance. The beast was more manly. When he became a man, he became this, like, really girly-looking man, like he totally looked like a girl. Oh, uh, I also like when Cogsworth and Lumiere were reconciled, putting aside their differences. And when the stool turned into a puppy! Ha 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 Be our guest, be our guest, but our service to the test! You know, it's a good thing that BJ's hand was reattached, rendering the entire hand incident moot as it regards past or future episodes of Hemanologians. Tell us all this time! Beauty and the Beast! What, yep. what do you guys, I mean, Jake, has it been helpful? Do you, do you oh, like I think it's, I think there were some things that were helpful just sort of in, yeah, that's right. That is one of my weaknesses. Or, you know, the way that this personality test articulates a weakness that I've recognized or that other people have recognized in me. That's helpful. And that reinforces either self-criticisms or criticisms from other people, ways I need to grow. So that's been helpful. And also with working with other people from 
time to time. I don't know. I feel like... Well, what I feel like it's these kinds of things do for me is they simply provide language. And, and I think a lot of psychology and uh, psychiatry and these, these kinds of fields, like, for example, the categories of extroversion and introversion, these are not biblical categories. They do capture a way that people are and a way that we feel, and they give us some language for it. And I think at their best, that's what people like Freud and Young, who both introduced some whack-a-doodle terrible ideas and mm. very unscientific ideas to the world. The one thing that, that really is the great legacy of those men is they just gave us some words, words like subconscious. We all know that there's things going on in our brains that we don't really think about. And so to have a word to talk about that is kind of handy, you know? They, they mm. can be handy little placeholders. So it's like, would I have figured out how to interact with the employees at work without a personality test? Sure. Was it nice to have some handy-dandy mental pegs to hang those ideas on? Yeah. Yes. Well, when it comes to understanding other people, we always start with our first point of reference, which is ourself, right? right? And so much mm -hmm. of teaching people to love one another is teaching them to understand the ways that people are different from them. That's like, that's what's helpful about dumb books like the love languages thing, right? Right. It's not a lot to that, except the simple idea that, hey, the way that you feel love and affection, what makes you feel loved is not necessarily what makes somebody else feel loved. Step outside of yourself. Which when you say that out loud, it's like, that's not very groundbreaking. And yet right. entire relationships fail, fall apart, divorces happen, horror, pain, misery comes into the world because people don't just... They can't step outside themselves and recognize... Wait a second. She doesn't feel loved when I do this thing that would make me feel loved. And I don't feel loved when, you know... It's... Yeah. Oh, and she's doing something that, for me, that makes her feel loved, but doesn't do it for me. But she's trying, but I don't recognize... Like, this right. communication Well, it sounds right here, like right? it's one of the same reasons we read fiction, is to understand other people better and not be just caught inside ourselves in our right. own basic way of perceiving the world and realize, wait a minute. People might have had this experience. I've never had that experience, and I never thought about it before, but I'm sure glad I read War and Peace. Right, and it whatever. gives you categories again, right? Yeah. Like pe nerds, people that nerds, as people that uh, love fiction, aka nerds. Um, don't call me a nerd. <laughs> not you, Ben. Oh, me and Jake, though. Good. Okay. Uh, we, well, <laughs> well, we, we have a fiction podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a nerd. It's a, true. A, a large part of the reason that I think we like it, at least if you're my kind of nerd, is. You like to have categories. Oh, that's a Obi-Wan Kenobi. I and mean, that's a silly example. But, oh, are you behaving like... Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan? <laughs> you were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan, you know? Uh, yeah, well, I've had those conversations. It sounds silly, right? But I've actually figured out things about myself or about other people by talking to, you know, me and Jake will talk about something. And it's not that we're nerding out about Star Wars, but just having those little handy, simple reference points. Oh, you're being a Darcy and she's being an Elizabeth mm -hmm. or... Or worse, a Lydia and a Wickham. Wickham. Yeah. I mean, understanding Wickham as a category of men mm -hmm. is very handy for young ladies. They need right. to watch out for Wickhams. And saying watch out for Wickhams is handy shorthand that enables me not to have to say watch out for callow young men that want to seduce you and just have a lot of surface appeal and blah, 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 blah. If you've read the book, all I have to do is say watch out for Wickhams. Now, true. If we're going to talk about personality tests. We really should probably learn a little something about personality tests, right, Van? Uh, 
Yeah, if you. I'm if, glad if you, you agree. So, so let's amazing. go into a segment called Learning More About Personality Tests. Woo. <laughs> Welcome to Learning More About Personality <laughs> Tests. I'm your host, Nathan Amerson. We've got Ben Solzer over there. We've got Jacob Menzel. Hey, it's me. Right there. It's him. It's definitely him. Guys, personality tests sure are weird, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you take Herman Rorschach. You take Herman Rorschach. He was a from Swiss... The, from the comic book series? Or the... That guy's name was not Herman, I don't think. No, something <laughs> it else. It should be. It should have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, his name was Rorschach, and he liked to kill people and stuff. That was dark. Don't read that comic, people. Don't watch the movie. Don't watch the new HBO show. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't figure it out. Herman Rorschach, he was a Swiss psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Wow. <laughs> Herman Rorschach. We're coming again. <laughs> Herman Rorschach. He he was he was just just to give you an example of the kinds of things that people have done. He's a Swiss psychiatrist who you probably know invented the Rorschach inkblot test thing. But basically, what he did is he just took a parlor game and turned it into an inkblot test. Just like, what do you see in the inkblot? And, and and the results of that thing were actually taken very seriously in courtrooms and mental hospitals for decades. Whoa. And then there's that dude who developed the thematic apperception test, which all, <laughs> all of our listeners have taken, I hope. If you haven't, right. Right. Uh, please take it. If you could take it today and submit your results to us, that would be very helpful to us to understand you because we don't understand you guys, and we don't understand ourselves. Right. Until we take the thematic apperception test, which this one dude, professor, developed with the help of his lover. We know it's a good test because... <laughs> it's I called mean, the thematic. Yeah. How could you not think it's a good test? <laughs> There's also the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, uh, developed by Stark Hathaway. It's a, that is another a, great comic book That is book a cool game, comic Stark book. Stark Hathaway. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Midwestern psychologist, obviously, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And you just had a bunch of questions about your religious beliefs, your sex life, your bathroom habits. And somehow that was going to, you know, divine who you are. In his Minnesota multi-physics personality inventory, the MMPI? Indeed. That's crazy. Well, and then, of course, there's Isabella Myers, the Pennsylvania housewife who... Well, we'll learn a lot more about her in a minute. But let's talk about the history of personality tests. Where do personality tests come from, Ben? You know, uh, I think think what you want to hear is that they started evolving about 100 years ago during World War I when people wanted to understand personality problems, mental health problems. At least that's what Jim Butcher says. Jim Butcher is a... An emeritus psychologist at the University of Minnesota, and that's what he gives as a history. This purse, the scientific American, uh, what Mr. Butcher says, or Professor Butcher, whatever he is, he, he says that Dr. Butcher, maybe. Dr. Butcher. Dr. Butcher is a really cool name. Yeah. Dr. Butcher. That's, that's, that's <laughs> Paging a, Dr. Butcher. Paging Dr. Butcher. <laughs> the surgeon. The surgery. <laughs> shortly, Dr. Butcher. Yeah. Another patient is here for you. <laughs> These guys aren't really all comic book characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I want to put them together. Stark Hathaway, billionaire playboy by day, Dr. Butcher by night. <laughs> wow. But um, he he adds that the U.S. military basically developed a lot of this stuff because they wanted to weed out soldiers who weren't fit. Specifically when the Air Force came in, they wanted to make sure that people weren't crazy and were going to be able to fly these giant deadly pieces of machinery. And, and so they began to develop tests and questionnaires to try and weed out people that would not be fit to fly an airplane. Yeah, according to Dr. Butcher over the course of the first half of the 20th century people really began came coming up with all kinds of different personality scales not just for mental health diagnoses 
but just to try to figure out what personality is like and and to weed through, you know, what's subjective about this? What's subjective about these tests? And how do we come up with objective measurable scales for figuring out who people are and predicting how they'll behave in situations or what they'll do? Right. And then the problem, as you'll note if you read anything about this, is that it's just really subjective. Like, why would there be 16 personality? You know, Myers-Briggs says there's 16. Why? Enneagram says there's nine. Nine. Why? Where, where, you know, and people will have, you know, Enneagram, we're going to talk about that. That comes from some ancient uh, esoteric texts. But they, they will make these delineations that really feel pretty subjective, maybe a little bit. Uh, subjective, self-confirming. So someone tells you you're an introvert, you decide you're an introvert, you may feel... And then you begin to behave like an introvert and use your self-diagnosis of introversion to justify antisocial behavior yeah i feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves here you guys i mean yeah well ben sounds like we're making judgments about personality we should we do one thing that we do not do on sound of sanity is ever make any judgments so you know i hope not and plus i'm a i'm a perceptive individual not not one of those judging i intuit i perceive hey i do not judge. you know that's good because as i'm learning on this enneagram website life (laughs) in the trinity the great Jesuit, I'm quoting here from a work sh- workshop precis. Mm. The great Jesuit teacher, Anthony DeMello, challenges us to wake up. He adds, It is non judgmental awareness alone that heals and changes and makes one grow. Suzanne Stabile is an Enneagram master. <laughs> <laughs> she states, I would say non judgmental awareness is the gift of the Enneagram. End quote. I just wanted to share that. I just felt I'm, well, I'm glad that you're practicing non-judgmental awareness. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope we all are. I hope our listeners are. That's really. We should name. We should change the show from the sound of sanity to the sound of non-judgmental awareness. <laughs> it's more catchy. It really is. And it, it better does a better job of capturing. Yeah, what we're all about. We're all about right. really the whole right. uh, Warhorn family of shows is about non-judgmental <laughs> awareness. I think that's what our critics and our fans. And we would owe agree. it to the Jesuits. <laughs> we we do owe it to the Jesuits. <laughs> you know what else the Jesuits would probably like is uh, some more facts about personality I bet tests. They would. <laughs> How'd you like that transition? <laughs> <All right. laughs> Bringing it back. In the U.S. alone, there are about 2,500 personality tests on the market. Now, what is the one of the most popular of those that our listeners probably will have heard of, boys? Probably the most popular one still is Myers-Briggs or MBTI. Myers-Briggs Type yep. Indicator. Yeah, it's used by 89 of the Fortune 100 companies. It's been translated into 24 languages. It's been adopted by governments and military agencies around the world, universities. Everybody uses Myers-Briggs to some degree to figure out how to care for their employees, their students. Have either of you guys had to actually take an official Myers-Briggs for a workplace you know, type situation? I have not had to take one for an official workplace. I have had to take personality tests. Yes, hmm. I've had but, to take something pretty similar to Myers-Briggs, but I don't think it was Myers-Briggs yep. in and of itself. I don't remember ever having to take one for employment. Taking them for fun. Well, Ben, how many people do you suppose take Myers-Briggs every year? Well, Nathan, I'm going to guess it is about 2 million people. And how many monthly queries for Myers-Briggs do you suppose there are on Google? Oh, 135,000? Probably. And how many just for personality tests while we're at it? Probably 301,000. You'd be correct. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a good guesser. (laughs) You don't even need this segment learning about personality (laughs) tests. You already have random stats and figures. Guys, let's talk a little bit more about Myers-Briggs because I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with it. It's it's like the big one. It's the, I don't know what It's the behemoth. It's the behemoth. It's It's sort of the gold standard in terms of what people rely on. 
in terms of personality tests. I mean, the Enneagram is super popular now, super trendy. Right. Mm -hmm. But the Myers-Briggs has been the backbone of personality tests for a long time. And spoiler alert, I think it's pretty helpful. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Nathan, if the Myers-Briggs personality test had a personality type, what would it be? ENFTJ? Well... (laughs) It's de- definitely extroverted. Look at how much okay. it's getting around. All right, yeah, yeah. It's definitely extroverted. Uh, let's see here. What's the next thing? It's uh, sensing or intuitive. It's intuitive. Yeah, it's, it's intuitive. intuitive. So e I N E N. So I got E N. Yeah. And then what else is there? Um, it's feeling or thinking. Oh, it thinks, baby. It thinks. Yeah. Okay. E N T. E N T. And then J. It makes judgments. It Hard makes judgments. judgments. Judging so instead I, of perceiving. So, 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 what did I say? E N F T J. That doesn't even make sense, people. Who do I think I am? I don't even know how a Myers Briggs personality <laughs> test is supposed to come out in letters. Did you but say I was E-N-F-T-J? close. I think I said E N F T J. So I left myself wiggle room, but I still was right <laughs> because it's E N T J. Right. So <laughs> I got it right first try. There you go. Well, we've talked a lot about Carl Jung here on the program. You can listen to our episodes on the hero's journey. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, Peterson, actually. I think we did a whole Monsters in the Attic where we talked a lot about the history of Carl Jung. Interesting fella. Mm -hmm. A lot of weird things about him that are worth knowing. But this is just one more place where Jung's influence is pervasive. You could make an argument. This guy's like the intellectual father of the 20th century and the 21st century. He's one of the most influential intellectuals Mm. of the 20th century. There's no question about it. And it's it's weird to realize that when so many people haven't heard his name or they've heard his name, but they don't know a thing about him. Everybody knows Freud. I would say Freud's given us some terminology, but in terms of just infecting the Mm. sort of bedrock of the way we think. Freud's also given us Carl Jung. Yeah, well, Hmm. that's you make a fair point. Jake. But it really was Jung. It, it, it is the ways that Jung built on Freud that have really shaped modern psychology, psychiatry, and I mean, everything from storytelling, Hollywood, everything. And Jung actually developed the idea of, I, I believe, eight opposing pairs of character traits, which are present in all of us. So extrovert, introvert, things like that. And the Myers-Briggs came about because of some lady named Catherine Briggs. Yeah, Catherine Briggs was a wealthy housewife from Washington, D.C. Her daughter, Isabel, one day brought home this guy named Clarence Myers. She thought this was a great guy, but also he's kind of weird. She wanted to figure him out. We've all been here, right? Like, we know somebody, they seem really nice, but who is this person? You can't really, you don't know how to read them. They don't fit into categories that you already kind of understand. And so she started reading about personality types and things like that. She got into Jung's uh, psychological types, became fascinated with them. She began referring to Jung's psychological types as her Bible. And her daughter, Isabel and Clarence, they got infected by this they became avid type watchers and although Jung only identified eight personality types Isabel eventually doubled that number into 16 and you know figured out a way to divide it up and to really sort of further develop and build on Jung's idea of his personality types. So just Mm -hmm. for those of you who are tracking, the system, which is used by governments, which is used by businesses, which is used by Fortune 500, which is used by millions of people every year, some lady came up with it, right? She took Jung's types. She came up with some more types just from basically from people watching. Her daughter and her just came up with it and decided it was a thing and decided that those were the types. Now, again, I've already said, spoiler alert, I like Myers-Briggs. I think they did a good job. But it's important to emphasize 
they weren't building on any higher authority than just their own personal observations. Yeah. Their own personal observations. What they liked, what what interested, and what they observed about you know, it'd be like if you went to a, the mall and just watched people and well, there's this kind of person that goes to the mall. There's this kind of person that goes to the mall. There's this kind of person that goes to a mall. So that's Myers Briggs. Sixteen personality types. Vaguely based on Young, but they actually doubled it. They came up with eight that Young never came up with. And Young, if you want to, if you listen to our Monsters in the Attic, like he also, at a certain point, he thought that a demon was talking to him. He wasn't exactly. He's a pretty messed up guy. He wasn't exactly Mister Scientific Research dude. Like no, no, no. He just came up with these with his personality types. Young was really something of a mystic, something of a gnostic, something of a prophet i think in another era i think people would actually think of him more as a sage or as a wise man or as a medicine man medicine man as a rasputin kind of a guy even he has this kind of vaguely scientific sheen to him because we think of him as a psychiatrist and as a researcher but really he was just a mystic and part of what he felt that he needed to recover for modern society was a more mystical approach to to life right like what he didn't like about Freud was classifying everything into really neat scientific categories, right? making everything, you know, biological, making everything chemical. What he thought we lost, one of the things that we talked about in that Jordan Peterson episode, one of the things that he thought we lost was the idea of us all needing a more mystical narrative truth to help us understand our place in the world. And that is what all of modern Hollywood is built off of. Right. Well, and I'm forgetting what the act, but it was what you're talking about. It wasn't necessarily always some deep metaphysical discussion between the two men. There's, there's, there's an anecdote about, I forget what the actual thing was, but you know, young says I can make that lighter explode with my mind. And Freud says, no, you can't. And then the lighter explodes or falls, you know, the thing, the thing falls off the desk or something. There's a famous story. So young really was, embracing a kind of spiritualism that Freud was opposed to. This was a real concrete discussion between these two mm-hmm. men. And so you just have to keep that in mind. It's not that, again, we're going to come back and talk about this more, but it's not that Myers-Briggs can't be helpful. I think it actually happens to be quite helpful, but it's rooted in a lot of weird stuff, a lot of subjective stuff, and not in a lot of real hardcore scientific or or even based on old philosophies, old you know, no, nobody was going through the Bible. Nobody was going through Plato even to synthesize these things. It's just stuff that it's, people came up with. Yeah, it's like a strain of paganism that everyone naturally latches on to and uses authoritatively because everyone is worshiping something. Well, and it, when something has a fancy title, you just kind of accept, well, it must be rooted in something, you know. It's like well, a guy see, in a white here's coat. The, here's yeah. what draws people to any religion. One of the main draws to any religion is the promise that this will help you understand yourself and your place in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what Jung was out to do. He was out to construct essentially a religion, a modern religion that was more scientific, but was still a modern way of figuring out who we are and our place in the world. Yeah, well, and that's a that's a good transition into one of the things we really want to talk about in this episode, which is something that's very popular among evangelicals and that gives me a, a lot more pause. I'm assuming you guys a lot more pause even than Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. or some of these other personality tests, which is the Enneagram. Now, what is the Enneagram, Ben? Well, Nathan, the Enneagram is another personality typing tool. There are nine 
types that you can be instead of 16 in the Myers-Briggs. Uh, here, here's a quote from the Enneagram Institute uh, to help you understand what it's supposed to do for you. Quote, the Enneagram of personality types is a modern synthesis of a number of ancient wisdom traditions. At its core, the Enneagram helps us to see ourselves at a deeper, more objective level and can be of invaluable assistance on our path to self-knowledge. The Enneagram Institute is currently engaged in presenting and sponsoring workshops and courses devoted to the many unique aspects of the Enneagram and their relationships to human nature, end quote. So it's supposed to get inside you and show you yourself objectively. So yeah. that sounds great. If, if people, yeah, well, if people have seen this, though, I think some Christians will be given pause simply by observing what this is because it looks like a satanic symbol. That's right. Actually, it, <laughs> it looks like a pentagram. It it's a circle with a triangle inside it and then a square inside it. Kind of looks like a pentagram and it makes uh, these nine points. Each point is a number. Each number is a personality type. So if if you're into Enneagram, then, you know, if you, Myers-Briggs, you might say, I'm an EFTJ, whatever. Enneagram, you're going to say, I'm a nine. I'm an eight. I'm at your, oh, you're acting like a seven. Um, so it also feels like it's got numerology. Yeah, exactly. And right. important to note, Enneagram, when it first hit the market, was marketed more that way. It used to show up in the New Age section of bookstores, you know, where they have all the dumb That was occultic. part of the appeal, was designing it or selling it in a way that looks occultic. Plays on numerology, plays on astrology, plays on pagan symbolism, right. satanic symbolism, occult symbolism. Well, and it's got some of that mystique. Even even the Christians that use it would admit, I think, that it's maybe rooted in some of those things. So, Jake, tell us a little bit about the history of the Enneagram. So the person who originally put the system together was Oscar Icazo, or Icazo, I'm not sure how to say his name. Again, per the Enneagram Institute, Icazo was born in Bolivia. He was raised there and in Peru. And as a young man, he moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina, to learn from a school of inner work of some sort. After that, he did a you know some a journeying, backpacking in Asia, gathering knowledge. He's got one of these you know mystical stories of all of the far off places that far off you know schools, sort of like Doctor Strange. You know he's been all over. He's learned from all the mystics. He's going to synthesize it all for us into this systematic approach called the Enneagram. That's that's the myth or the story of Ikazo and the birth of the Enneagram that's told. Right. He basically least. wandered in the desert and came back with secret knowledge, which is something that sages have been doing since the Three years beginning of time. Millennia. Yeah. And even if that's not something that he actually did, you know, the marketers know that the, that story adds to the mythos of it all and sells it. So. Right. Right. Most Enneagram teachers assert that it's much more ancient than Ikazo. Uh, we could talk a little bit about where it first made its appearance. The, the, I think the term Enneagram comes from this guy. I have no idea to, how to pronounce his name, but a Georges I. Gargiev, who was uh, alive in the late 1800s. and Yeah, he was a Russian millionaire, and he had something called the Institute for the Harmonious Development of Man oh, good. in Moscow in 1922. So he got this symbol from his travels through Central Asia, and he said that Sufis taught him about the numerology and mystical uses like divination. And then Ikazo is the one who tied personality types mm -hmm. to the symbol of the Enneagram, which already had these other mystical uses. And then people will claim other ancient origins, like we said. So is it from Sufism? I mean, I guess we don't really know. There's yeah, like people will say trail. the ancient wisdom of the Chal Chaldeans. They'll say the Pythagoreans. They'll connect it to... They'll, they'll connect it. I think I read someone connecting it to the Desert Fathers. I mean, if, yes, you, if you go I've online, you will find all these histories 
you will find more critical histories from, interestingly enough, the Catholics who have been critical of this as a New Age practice for some time. You'll, of course, you'll find many proponents, Christian and otherwise, claiming various ancient origins. Right. This is another in our series of things that evangelicals are always the thing that the world's already bored with. They're getting excited about. The Catholics were already on the case, I think, decades ago. They were they were against this as a kind of New Age practice. But the important point to make about what Ben's saying is that the Enneagram proponents will make it sound like this comes through some kind of ancient esoteric wisdom. Mm-hmm. They have no e- evidence for that. And the thing that they say, well, is why would we? It's ancient and esoteric. Like it was passed on <laughs> verbally from person to person, yep. which is awfully convenient because it means that there's no documentation. Right. I mean, it's a little bit like Catholic claims for their tradition about yeah, their well, own doctrines. Exactly. I, what I was going to say is Mormons, you know, uh, Joseph Smith just got this information. He was the one guy. He looked into a hat. Right. He looked into a hat. Mm -hmm. The angel Gabroni told him some stuff. (laughs) Moroni. Moroni. The angel Moroni. The angel Gabroni. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, mine mine makes about as much sense as his does. Uh, Um, I mean, what you'll see, uh, this goes without saying perhaps, but what you'll see across many false teachers is that they just say, oh, I got some wisdom about Christianity, one of the proofs of it, one of the evidences of it, certainly not the only one, is just simply that there's a lot of documentation. The Bible is, lest we forget, a collection of many books written by many different people talking about the same stuff, which is, you know, people will say, well, how can you believe the Bible? It's just a book that some... No, it's not just a book. It's 66 books written by wildly different men or compiled much later, which is a lot different than what you have with almost any other major religion. And certainly with these little esoteric, occultic branches of Mm quote-unquote knowledge, the Enneagram. It's a big fad right now among Mm -hmm. evangelicals, which is one of the reasons we're talking about it. And of course it would be. I mean, if you think about it, just this simply, what's the largest group of vaguely religious people who really want some degree of self-understanding but don't have it and don't have anybody providing it to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Takes telling it like it is. <laughs> who, yep. who don't have, who, who all the people that are supposed to be helping them uh, have some self-understanding are falling down on the job as a principle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's evangelical Christians. And so there's completely prime, prime to be a little mystical, prime to be spiritual, desirous of some degree of self-understanding. I get it from their pastors or shepherds. And so they're looking around and, you know, here's the Enneagram. Basically, when I, when I was talking about the history of the Enneagram earlier, I was basically quoting from an article from Catholic Culture, which we'll link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And the Catholics have done uh, really good work. They have. Um, in examining this stuff. I don't know if you, Nathan, had something else to read from them, but I'll just... I mean, they had this whole report they put out in mm-hmm. 2003, right. I think. We'll link that in the show notes, too. Yes, sir. And it said... The Enneagram, the nine-type tool for character analysis, which when used as a means of spiritual growth, introduces an ambiguity in the doctrine and the life of the Christian faith. Now, that may sound mild, Mm. but that's actually not a very, that's not a very mild thing to say. An ambiguity in the life and doctrine is actually, that's the kind of thing that you, you want to iron out right you, you want to <laughs> ambiguities in life and doctrine are bad yeah. they are bad you don't want ambiguities in life and doctrine right and do- doctrine and practice that's basically everything that's right. the ball game right. that's the whole ball game yeah, yeah that's the whole ball game yeah life is full of ambiguities that we have to approach which is why we want our doctrine to be solid so that we have a way to approach the ambiguities of our day-to-day yeah and existence. there are some ambiguities that we have to live with oh sure but yep 
what we don't want to do is start introducing ambiguities. <laughs> yeah. Where they don't need to be we, now. We don't need any extra <laughs> ambiguities. Oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> well, we found a pretty scary slash hilarious website uh-huh. called Life in the Trinity. I already quoted from it earlier. Right. This is a large-scale Christian ministry. And if you look at the website, Life in the Trinity Ministry, they, they bill themselves as a nonprofit Christian ministry lo- located in Dallas, Texas. Quote, this inclusive ministry uses Christian principles to encourage civility, to foster personal growth, and to work towards the creation of community among all peoples. Sounds okay, I guess. Maybe a little cheesy in the language, but nothing that really jumps out at you as being weird or Enneagram-based. Until you get a little deeper, right? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you start to read about their speakers, and Ben, you already told us a little bit about Enneagram Master Susan Stabile. Yeah, yeah, I was I was quoting her about her workshop, and she was she wrote something about the Jesuits, and then she confirmed that what they said was great. And I don't know if the Jesuits would actually agree, although I think from what I've read of them, the Jesuits would uh, tend to be in line with mm-hmm. the kind of language the Enneagram uses. That's why Suzanne Stabile, Susan Stabile, likes it. Yeah. So there's Susan Stabile, who the website claims is a highly sought-after speaker and teacher, known for her engaging laugh, That's good. personal vulnerability, and creative uh, approach to Enneagram instruction. Uh, there's Joey Shuey, who has Shui. been a student of the Enneagram for more than 20 years as an Enneagram mentor. She completed an intensive three-year apprenticeship with Suzanne in 2006 and has taught in tandem with the Enneagram master for over a decade. <laughs> I like that. There's, I just like that turn of phrase. <laughs> and taught in tandem with the Enneagram master. And then there's Billy who has a knowledge of the power of the Enneagram as a spiritual tool, an engaging presentation style, and a passion for helping others. There's Hunter who was introduced to the ancient spiritual wisdom tool, the Enneagram, years ago when he met master Enneagram teacher Susan Stabile. <laughs> um, if you look at the website, though... It's called Life in the Trinity Ministry. I read their description, which doesn't mention the Enneagram. It's got a picture of a boring old church building. Yeah. And it just looks like kind of a church website or a church ministry website. Uh You'd be forgiven. I mean, I don't know that you'd really be forgiven, but I could see a simple Christian going on this website, not looking very hard and just assuming this was a legitimate ministry. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's just an Enneagram Institute. Well, here, let me me just... There's all these um, like audio, video th- packages you can buy, mm-hmm. uh, talks that are given. So here are some things that I mean. Suzanne Stabile has written books like an Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships. That's that's the subtitle of one book, but she seems like the brains behind this outfit. She does, and but she has something for like every number type. Like how to develop your repressed center thinking, how to develop your repressed center doing, how to develop your repressed center feeling, the Enneagram and grieving. Enneagram and anger or rage, centering prayer, the fruits of the spirit, uh, simplicity and Sabbath, gut triad. It's all stuff, though, processed through the lens of the Enneagram. Right. We're not just talking about Bible teaching. No, we're processing Bible teaching through the lens of the Enneagram. That's what's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So the what's, the, what's the, the foundational authority, the foundational text by which we read and understand ourselves. Well, that's the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And then we can re- we can interpret scripture and apply scripture through the lens of any of the Enneagram. The Enneagram is the foundational text right. for self-understanding. Which is interestingly, if you click on any of their links, if you look at any of their materials, that's really obvious. And yet they don't choose to just build themselves that way, which I find fascinating. Like if they said, we are the Enneagram Spiritual Bible Institute, That'd be one thing. But then so they call themselves Life in the Trinity Ministries. And mm-hmm. I read their little description at the top. It doesn't say anything about the Enneagram. 
But then it's like, they're not really hiding it. They're selling books called An Enneagram Journey to This or The Fruit of the Spirit, An Enneagram. Mm -hmm. But it is a fascinating little website. It is. We'll be back. Good news, Lance. I'm a practical and fact-minded individual whose reliability cannot be doubted. Um, Chip, don't you have some work to be doing That's right, right Lance. I don't make many assumptions, preferring instead to analyze my surroundings, check my facts, and arrive at practical courses of action. So, sorry, what's that again? Say, Lance, you're not a squirrel, are you? I see some peanuts on your desk there, so you could forgive me for wondering. As I was saying, I don't make assumptions, preferring instead to Where's analyze... Where's all this coming from, Chip? It's in my personality test, Lance. Your what, Chip? My Lyre Briggs! And, uh, was it Stratton? Briggs and Stratton was a lawnmower, Chip. Is that so? Well, I'm a logistician myself, but I'm sure I can learn to get along with the lawnmower. Chip, you're, you're a logistician? That's my personality type, Lance, per my test. Now, Chip, what, why on earth did you take a personality test in the first place? Well, ain't place? it obvious, Lance? I've been taking all kinds of internet tests. Would it surprise you to know that the Harry Potter character I most like is error, page not loaded. All right, Chip, you took a personality test. Just go ahead and tell me all the things you learned. Well, as I said, Lance, I'm a logistician. Chip, if you're a logistician, I'm a monkey's uncle. A monkey's uncle? Sorry, Lance, I don't follow your logist. That's not how you say that, Chip. Sorry, Lance, I doesn't follow your logist. Right, right, Chip, I got a lot of work to be doing. Just go ahead and tell me about the test. And Well, according to this personality test, I am neither spontaneous nor talkative nor playful. You're not spontaneous? Sure wish I had some birthday cake right now, Lance. You got any? Uh, no, or talkative either, huh? That's right, Lance. Not talkative. Say, Lance, that word talkative reminds me of every other word in the English dictionary that starts with a T. You want me to listen for you? Uh, well. Well, you start tab. Followed, of course, by table. Then you got tact. Next would be Tyrannosaurus. Now, like many of the other words I mentioned, this one reminds me of a story. Chip, you've been standing there talking to yourself for like the last three hours. You want to just get back to the personality test? Hi, how the time flies. And speaking of flies, and that's step five of building a rutabaga cannon, Lance. All right, all right, Chip, that's enough about that. What about step 36? What about step 37? And so on. A lot of steps to go, Lance. Chip, why don't we just get back to the personality test? That's the thing you really want to tell me about, right? Uh, something about you not being playful. Not playful at all, Lance. Oh, how do I explain it? Here, you take this sock puppet, and I'll take this sock puppet, and we'll act her all out so you understand. Uh, yeah, maybe some other time, Chip. Got a lot of work to do, but uh, what else did you want to tell me about what you learned in the test? I'm a very methodical person whose loyalty is not given away lightly. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, Chip, someone wants you to sign this here form. It says the uh, company owns all your organs, reserves the right to preserve you in formaldehyde for licensing purposes in the case of your untimely death in return for which you get uh, um, uh, this year's Snickers bar. Oh, thanks, Lance. Where do I sign? As I was saying... Per these Myers-Briggs fellas, I'm very slow to make friends. Right, yeah. Um, Did you happen to meet the new accountant, David, by the way? Uh, I met him in the elevator coming up. Mm -hmm. Sad about his wife dying, but mm -hmm. bringing a roast to his house on Thursday, which is what she always made him on their anniversary. I'm shocked. Nice about his daughter being pregnant, though. <laughs> Whoops, I wasn't supposed to mention that. <laughs> now, Chip, if I may be so bold, I'm not quite sure your personality test uh, <laughs> captured all your nuances. They just don't work that well. They don't work well for me, neither. Well, Lance, now that you mention it, I took the test for you, too, but I must have clicked a wrong button or something, because it said you were easily irritated with your peers or subordinates and obsequious to a fault with your superiors. Oh, Chip, do shut up. Lance, did you get Chip to sign away his organs? Uh, sure, sure, Stone, of course. Uh, 
Might as well come and Johan Bach the way I've been collecting organs today. <laughs> it said you were easily demoralized when crossed, Lance. Johan Bach, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, Lance. Oh, well, sorry, Stone. I just, I, I won't try to be funny no more. But that you rallied quickly thereafter. But I guess you can't win them all, right, Stone? Shut up, Lance. Yeah, this test didn't have much on you, did it, Lance? Okay, t can we just be done with the personality test, okay? They're just dumb, that's all. Of course we can, Lance. <laughs> it also said you was easily flustered. Well, dang it all, Chip. No well, that's well... Uh, and you can become highly volatile oh, just, if you're put upon. Just shut up, Chip. Would you shut up? You've been chewing my ear off for the last, I don't know, however many hours. And then when you're really at the breaking point, it said you just walk away. Ugh! Lance? Lance? I guess he was annoyed that his personality test was so off base. The fact that I grasped using my logistical abilities. Speaking of logist, I think it's time for me to do the next logistical thing I would do if I were going to do it, which I am. Go fishing with dermatologist, dermatologist, dermatologist. When I let you make a wish, I didn't know I'd have to fish. I don't know. What do you What do you guys want to say about the Enneagram in particular, and then about personality tests in general? I don't want to say a lot about Enneagram because I've never taken it. I don't know anything about it, really, apart from the research that we've done. I don't know how helpful it is. Maybe it's helpful, like any other personality test, in describing aspects of someone's personality. Mm -hmm. Personality tests can be helpful that way. They can tell you a little bit about who you are, a little bit about how other people are or how they approach life as a separate tool for gaining some insight into yourself or into other people, that's fine. There's not a big problem with it. What Where there's a problem is when it begins to become a controlling principle in your life, when it begins to be the lens through which you interpret yourself and everyone else around you, when it begins to become a means of justifying your behavior, locking you into or other people into boxes, that really just aren't biblical. A way of excusing a lack of sanctification or a false means of approaching sanctification, growth and godliness. That's when things like this can become a real problem. So if it's going to be like your mystical religion, that's idolatry and you need to repent of it. If it's going to be your controlling principle of the way that you interpret yourself, that is making it your own mystical religion and something you need to repent of. If it's a helpful way of getting at some truths and explaining some truths about yourself or other people that help you then reframe, you can reframe that in biblical terms, then great, I see no problem with that. But the lines between the two can be really blurred. And I think the reason we're maybe more uncomfortable with the Enneagram is because it seems to intentionally blur those lines yeah. more. At the well, very least, you could say its iconography is more religious, more mystical. Well, you know, I don't know that they're actually that much more dangerous than than each other. I think what makes us more uncomfortable about with the Enneagram is that the Enneagram is deliberately spiritual in its terminology, yeah. and Myers-Briggs cloaks its spirituality in scientific terminology that makes it feel more objective. Right. But you have just as much ability to be control uh, to use Myers-Briggs as a an interpretive tool, a ground, a foundational way of thinking about life and people and yourself as you do with the Enneagram. Doing that is wrong. It's it's an unbiblical way of understanding yourself. And it's an unbiblical way of understanding on the most fundamental levels how people work. Right. It doesn't factor sin into the equation. Right. Right? It doesn't factor in 
uh, the ways that we grow and the ways that we change and the fact that we are much more than types. Right. We're fluid. We're not the same today as we were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Saying that I'm an INFP, it, it may and does in fact say some things about how I approach life and what I'm good at, what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are and the ways that I need to grow. And that can be helpful and useful, but, um, or saying that I'm a whatever number I actually am. Right. Maybe that can be useful too, but letting these things be the filter through which we view the world is dangerous. Right. And we all know that there are many, 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 many people who think of themselves, for example, just to take a very simple example, as introverts. And that gives them an excuse not to go to Sunday school. That gives them an excuse not to help out on Wednesday nights with church programs. That gives them an excuse to not just to, be selfish and be like, hey, you know what? Not to love their neighbor, not, yeah. to, not to do the basic things that God calls us to do. They need to think about that biblically. They need to think about they fear man and don't fear God. They need to think about all kinds of things. Now, is it helpful to know? I feel kind of drained after I'm with people and I'm not as naturally good with people as someone who's good with people. Yeah, really yeah. helpful thing to acknowledge about yourself but to let that be the crutch that you live your life on is bad yeah i mean one mm -hmm. one helpful thing about the concept of introversion and extroversion is simply being able to say to yourself hey you know what i know i need to love people i know i need to be engaged with people i also know that that means i'm going to have to work harder at it and there are some ways that i can work harder at it here are some ways that i can work harder at it i can go and make sure that i'm for lack of a better way of phrasing it, I'm charged up. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I know that I, it's going to take some recovery time after being with a lot of people. And that's okay. I can accept that. I can just make space in my life for that sort of thing mm -hmm. so that I can better love people instead of use my introversion as an excuse for never actually engaging with people and loving them. Yeah, and you can do that with the introversion, extroversion is easy, but you could see how this applies across, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker. I don't intuit, so I don't have to care about Jake's feelings right now. I can just be unkind because I'm, I'm a logician. That's just the way I am. I'm mm -hmm. just... Well, you guys have both had more experience with Myers-Briggs stuff than I have. I've actually read a book on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. I was pretty interested in it at one time. And so one thing the Enneagram does, and I'm not clear that Myers-Briggs does this, is it says, here's your type. Here are the places you need to, to try and develop into. And if you're healthy, you'll become more like this other type in this respect. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't know that Myers-Briggs does that, does no, it? Myers-Briggs, I mean, it does probably, that ends up resulting because of okay. it. But okay, but it, it is not. Yeah, lots of Myers-Briggs, you know, if you take a Myers, if you take a knockoff version like 16personalities.com or whatever, mm -hmm. it will say, here are your strengths, here are your weaknesses, here are the places that you need to be aware of your, you know, mm -hmm. here are the ways that maybe you can push yourself and grow. And then if there's always like some paid feature where you can, right. you know, <laughs> pay some money to find get behind, a, really get behind a paywall and really sure. find out all the ways that you need to grow to become a more healthy and sure. But I would say there person. is a difference in that yeah. Myers-Briggs is more descriptive and less it's prescriptive. less a self-improvement. Yes philosophy. Right. And I think that's probably one reason among others that the Enneagram has become co-opted as a Christian tool. Right. And has been begun to take over, well, could we say take over churches? That sounds kind of histrionic. Mm -hmm. I feel like a certain alarm might ring if we say that. But it has begun to take over churches. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, it is if it if it is in in more in that spiritual self-improvement genre, we're still talking about a spiritual mystical self-improvement instead of godly spirit-led sanctification. Mm -hmm. Right. We're talking about behavior modification, yes. not holiness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article 
uh, critiquing the Enneagram. Yeah, so he focused on a, a book called The Road Back to You, which is a, a so-called evangelical Christian book on the Enneagram and mm-hmm. how to use it. But what Kevin DeYoung says that's the, that's the most, like, knockdown critique is it's all about becoming your true self. It's, and it's about how sin cuts you off from becoming your true self. And that's the focus of the book. Right. Not how sin cuts you off from God. Yeah, I found a, a Christian website responding to him that says, well, John Calvin said, you have to know yourself. Right. <laughs> and that was their basically their response <laughs> to his review. <laughs> I thought that was pretty weak. <laughs> that is pretty weak. Although I will, I will admit I've been thinking about that John Calvin quote this entire time. Me yeah. too. Um, it's, it's a great quote. It's a great quote, and in, I suppose it ties do, in. Do we have it? So Calvin, this is at the beginning of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Mm-hmm. Okay, quote, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other, end quote. Bit of a chicken and an egg kind of thing there. Yep. Yep. And that begins to put your finger on why we might be uncomfortable with some of these tests because they sever, at their worst, they sever the knowledge of God mm-hmm. and the knowledge of the way that He's made the world. But also why we're we're not really interested in condemning them wholesale. Right. They actually do teach you things. I am much more uncomfortable with the Enneagram, and I think that the way that I would maybe define my discomfort is by saying, well, another John Calvin quote, our hearts are factories of idols, right? But there is a difference between a football game, which people can idolize. You know, we talk about don't make football an idol and somebody building a golden statue and saying, it's a new God. You know, there is a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a categorical difference yep. there. Yep. And Myers-Briggs, while it can be misused, doesn't nearly go out of its way to present itself as a new God or a new philosophy the way that Enneagram often does. Yeah. Is there such a thing as a good use of Enneagram? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know it well enough. Does Is it often blatantly misused mm-hmm. and used poorly, used bad, used wickedly? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I wouldn't necessarily say about Myers-Briggs. Although as I say that, it's, well, you know, Myers-Briggs is often, you know what I mean? There's, there's yeah, a difference. I there. mean, there is a difference. I think Jung and even his personality types it was all about creating a secular religion for right. him mm. and that is why he is one of the more influential thinkers of the 20th century and as you pointed out science is a religion for a lot of people so yeah. they just define themselves a certain way and they're willing to have everything just be an outgrowth of of this test that has a sort of scientific sheen much more than enneagram does there is th- i mean if you think about it this way the american civil religion is you, we have our hero's journey, mm-hmm. which is all the ways that we make sense of ourselves and our place in this world. So we have our narrative truth. Mm-hmm. We have our Myers-Briggs personality tests that put it, their finger on who we are and how we behave and how we can grow. It all is a part of an ethos that is American secular religion. Right. Right. That we all grow up, you know, breathing in. By that standard... We can't ever turn off our discernment when we're using any kind of personality test. Right. We can never just live comfortably with them as though they're good furniture to have around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, I want to keep pushing back a little bit and just say Enneagram does tap or tie in or at least present itself as spiritual in a way that, I don't know, it just makes me uncomfortable. It just, yep. it just, just even the fact that it uses the iconography of spiritualism, 
you know, it's it, it just feels like it feeds a little part of you. Maybe we could maybe we could even argue that Myers Briggs is is equally bad or equally concerning in a different way. But I think there is a difference between there. There's a little mystical, gnostic, new age part of all of us that wants to believe in bad spiritualism. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and, that that enneagram feeds more. We we all want the special knowledge, and Myers Briggs is kind of interesting. But enneagram has a certain pull. At least that's why I liked it is because it has a certain pull like okay i'm finally going to learn what i ought to be and how to and how to change like i want to change to be all i can be right myers briggs i'd never i don't think i really felt the same thing yeah myers briggs that special knowledge that 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 maybe puts a finger on it for me myers briggs purports to tell you what you should already know actually it's just giving terminology to something that mm-hmm. we all kind of intuitively understand whereas enneagram and things like that purport to offer something special something beyond and again you can push back and say how myers-briggs kind of does that with a more materialistic sheen to it and i understand that i do just think enneagram makes me uncomfortable in a way that myers-briggs doesn't maybe i'm crazy no i don't think you're crazy i mean you're four what else would you say you know (laughs) (laughs) that's the kind of thing you would say (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you're more comfortable being a materialist. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think I'm stupid about that? No, I don't. I don't think you're stupid about it. I just, for some reason, feel the pressure to say what we actually live and breathe in is this world of psychology and uh, psychological pseudoscience Mm. combined with our hero's journey stories. That is our modern secular religion. It is religious. It is just as pagan as the Enneagram. It just doesn't feel that way to us. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, of course, the Enneagram is going to feel more icky because it is that sort of Gnostic, cultish, outsidery kind of thing. Right. But I just want us, I feel some pressure to say, hey, so is everything that is a part of the pseudoscience that we call psychology that isn't really all that scientific and certainly isn't based in any kind of biblical truth both of them are capable of getting at real truths about who we are and mm-hmm. how we behave and even ways we can change our behavior but mm-hmm. but yeah i just think I don't, so i'm not i'm not trying to push back and say that the enneagram is not more icky i think it is i think it is more gross and more disturbing it is more cultish it is more right but i just don't want us to give a Give a free pass. To Give the a free other pass one. to the, you know, the modern secular materialist r- religion that sort of everybody buys into because it's just all part of our accepted cultural civil religion. Yeah. Well, there's also probably some truth to the fact that if you were to abandon the faith, you'd become a materialist, and if I was to abandon the faith, I'd become a mystic something or other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I feel I feel more threatened by Enneagram. Well, it, it's also right. more of what we're what we're repenting of, right? Like precisely, I'm per, I'm a repenting of interest in the occult, the occult, mm. and I'm repenting of American of civil like religion, baseball, and mm. crap. Yeah, you're not repenting apple of baseball, pie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What, what am I repenting <laughs> of? <laughs> I don't know what I'm. Your hero of. is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. the national treasure that he sought. <laughs> Is there anything else that concerns you guys about this or that you kind of want to talk about? Uh, the alarm never went off in 
I don't think it's going to. Huh. I'm not sad. You know, yeah, I, when okay. I say that, usually it's an indication that the alarm's about to go off because we offer, we Sound of Sanity is nothing if not an ironic universe, the, the Sound of Sanity verse, but actually the alarm's not going off it's to an, this, this episode, man. guys. Well, I think if, if I were a Christian immersed in the Enneagram or if I really liked it and had affinity for it, I would I would come back at you and I would just say, look, like the Enneagram is not supplanting the Bible, just because I use it for spiritual growth, I'm using it inside my relationship with Jesus under the authority of the Bible. Like I know the Bible's the word of God and the Enneagram is just a thing, but God uses just things that people come up with, like medicine or whatever, right. to help us. And this is helpful to me. And it's it, it just gives you language for sanctification. Well, and well, what's the difference between that and a book like my wife's been reading a book called Love and Respect so she can learn to respect me. Uh, and yeah, love, exactly. And, and that, you know, that book talks about we need to get off the crazy cycle and get on to the healing cycle or the energizing cycle. And it mm-hmm. talks about, you, you know, when we're using love, you know, it gives you little formulas or the five love languages or, you know, there's all kinds of things that probably all of our listeners have found helpful at yeah. one time or another mm-hmm. that offer formulas. I mean, how about Calvin and John Calvin Tulip? I mean, you, uh, mm-hmm. maybe that's taking the argument too far, but you know, there's all kinds of things that provide extra biblical knowledge, right? And, and it's just a way of getting of giving us handles, right? Yeah, I'm off. I'm actually. I don't have too much of a problem with the way that you framed what you said, actually, <laughs> because because I okay, I I am for you know taking the tools that are given to us as handles and using them where we can. But there's a difference between taking a pagan tool or handle and actually saying, okay, this helps explain something. This is another way of framing or talking about this biblical reality. And then there's a way of just straight up syncretizing the pagan tools and making them reframing There's reframing things in in biblical terms and there's reframing things in biblical terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a reframing of things in biblical terms that is the Bible is my standard and this helpful way of of thinking over here. I understand what's good about it and I also understand what's bad about it because I'm interpreting that that handle through the lens of scripture. And then there's a way of taking biblical language and just dressing up your pagan ideologies in biblical language and reframing it that way. That's just called syncretism and it's been around for millennia. Been around since true religion's been around. And, and and that's bad. And it's a, it's a difficult line to, to sort of walk. Yeah. Part of me wants to say, or 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 maybe not a difficult difficult line to walk, but it's difficult to sort of really see what's going on with people when they're doing the one or doing the other. The additional level of complication is that a good hearted Christian may find material that is syncretistic and use it biblically. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> or that is what happens. Or people may take material like the five love languages or stuff that's basically good and biblical and rooted in theology and make a little mini religion out of it. Well, so, I think I think that I think that, that the difference is like for for instance on the bookening, what you guys do with something like Narnia. So that's not the best example because Lewis is a Christian and that's complicated. But whatever, something like Narnia, you don't just assume that everything you find in Narnia is going to be good for you. No, we I mean, do not. The, the only purpose of the bookening is to teach people to have some discernment in what they read. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you if you and the Enneagram though is a tool of like it's it's like a it's like commitment, right? It's like a regimen of medicine. It's not like people are coming to it thinking, how can I discern what's good and what's bad in here? What they're thinking is, 
how do I commit myself to this so that I get the spiritual benefit? That is a bad way to approach books and it's a bad way to approach things like this. Yeah. So this guy, Derek Vreeland, who I referred to earlier without mentioning his name, he's he's the one. I just found his random article in response to Kevin DeYoung's Gospel Coalition article. Yes, we will post a link to a Gospel Coalition article. Yay. Uh, this guy says, I mean, here's the, here's the last thing he writes. <laughs> and I don't think, Jake, that you would be comfortable if I were saying something like this to you. Quote, Set aside any concern that the implicit spirituality in the Enneagram is somehow dangerous or harmful and allow yep, it to open wrong, up bad. <laughs> <laughs> and allow it and allow it to open up new vistas 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 of self-awareness and self-understanding that you may see God's work within your own heart end quote yeah that's that's bad that's bad <laughs> but but the thing is that that's what the Enneagram is for the Enneagram is for the Enneagram the any does that make sense what I'm saying the Enneagram is like yeah. hey Give your heart to this. That's 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 it demands the, that's, you reorient that's your life the around feeling it. of the whole thing. Right. That is like I think that's I feel like that's implicit in it. It's like gonna pull you in. Right. Let me tell you who you really are. Let me give you the language about who you really are. I mean, I think that this kind of stuff is actually narcissistic as well. And that's but, an, that's a good point to make. Yeah. I mean, Myers Briggs can do that to you. For sure. Like, I know when I've looked at the Myers-Briggs, sometimes it's because I feel slightly obsessed about knowing exactly who or what I am. But mm-hmm. the Enneagram is, I think, more so. I think anyone who overuses this stuff or uses it without discernment is going to end up heading towards narcissism. But the Enneagram has more of a danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, let me just sort of, while we're at it, mention one critical flaw in all of these personality tests. Okay. Which is all these personality tests purport to teach you about yourself. But you know what I have found? I have found they require a great deal of self-knowledge in order to accurately. (laughs) 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 Okay. And so here's what I mean is somebody can take the Myers-Briggs test Mm -hmm. and completely answer all of the questions, all the diagnostic questions that are supposed to get at the realities of themselves wrong Mm -hmm. because they don't even understand themselves because they're projecting an ideal of themselves that they think is good but it's not it has no bearing on how they actually are actually really hard to take because i never know particularly when i took a real one for work and i felt like it kind of mattered i really had a hard time with it because it was like I know that I'm a sinner, therefore I know I'm capable of thing X that it's talking about. Would you ever steal from the workplace, let's say? (laughs) Well, I know biblically that I am capable of stealing from the workplace. And Uh, therefore I can just implicitly accept that there are all kinds of circumstances where I might be, and I'm going to analyze that because I have a biblical understanding of theft. Right. That I understand. In fact, I steal from mm. the workplace all the time I'm because you know time. what? Exactly. Right. I'm stealing time That's all right. the time. My thoughts are distracted. I I spend too long in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I you mm-hmm. know I need to take a breather. I'm going to check my phone. I'm going to whatever yep. it is. Eleven That's, minutes instead of ten minutes. That is time that is not devoted to the job that I'm being paid to do mm-hmm. right now, and that is stealing. And therefore, I you know you, you have all this stuff. But I also like, know that the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. has worked in my heart, and that. I probably won't steal in the sense that they mean it. Yeah, because what they actually mean is, are you actually going to take Take a computer? Like, are you going to take money? Are you going to embezzle funds? Are you going to steal merchandise? But I also know I might leave a pen in my pocket. So I could, I could, if if we're just going with the disagree, strongly disagree, if we're going on that spectrum, I could choose any one of those and 
be completely be justified in doing so. A justified yeah. answer. And do I answer from my my knowledge of the sinfulness of my heart or the knowledge of what I would probably what you know probability my says normal I would patterns do. of behavior? Right. Do I answer out of my insecurities? My wife tends to get radically different answers on these. I had her take sixteen questions. She took it, and then I took it for her. And it's like. <laughs> It's because she's an extrovert. She's an extrovert, but then, like a normal person, she feels insecurities about being an extrovert and about whether people like her and stuff like that. You know, nothing nothing unusual there. How much does she answer the questions according to the vulnerabilities that she feels, and how much does she answer it according to, as you say, Jake, her patterns of behavior, you know, yep. her how she, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. party Meredith is a lot different than Meredith at home with Nathan, and party Nathan, I can confirm, is a lot different than... Nathan at podcast Nathan is different than Nathan talking to Ben is different than Nathan talking to Jake is different than yeah. Nathan in a meeting with four yep. people. Yep, 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 yep. Person, and then, and then the yeah. heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Exactly. You know, like, we don't actually have, you need to understand that however good these tools get, however good they are, they are very broken and very blunt instruments. Because they don't have the most fundamental realities of human existence at the foundation of their hmm. philosophies, right? right? The That's fall right. of man, original sin, is the most foundational thing that you can know about any single person that there is. Everyone is fallen and sinful and by nature totally depraved. Let's start there. None of these start there. That's the most foundational thing you can know about any single person. The one thing that explains everything, right? Was it Descartes or Pascal who said, without this mystery, the greatest of all, we are we remain mysteries to ourselves." Exactly. That's a rough paraphrase, Pascal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty good paraphrase or incomprehensible to ourselves. Yeah. Right. The, incomprehensible. Yeah. yeah. That was the word. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's true. It's just at the end of the day, do you really want to explain your behavior? There are things that you do just because they're wrong and you, you like bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like Augustine talking about stealing the pears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've read it. If you've read Augustine's confessions, he's like, the pears were more sweet. They were more delicious. In fact, they were only delicious. They were only good. He only yeah. enjoyed them because yeah, well, he, st- they were yeah, stolen. He sits there and yeah. he just tries to analyze. We're kids. We, we steal all these pears from a tree. Were they good pears? No. We actually had better orchards ourselves if we had access to. Right. Were, were we hungry? No. And at the end of the day, he gets down to it and he was just like... We liked stealing the pears. It was for the joy of stealing and for the joy of yeah. doing that together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that and means pushing that each other into further wickedness. It mm-hmm. was just, we liked being wicked. Right. It was for the thrill of being wicked. Right. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that means that like even, you know, whatever handles the Enneagram gives you, for instance, on your own sinfulness and your and your need to grow, it's going to leave out. I mean, I I... I would be shocked if if Christian books on the Enneagram didn't also leave this out. It's going to leave out that you want your own world your own way, and you have a love of doing wrong because you love rebelling against God, and mm-hmm. that's your desire. And I just don't see that these that these personality things are going to address that, but the Bible does. Yep, and I think the point that Ben makes about sim- simply makes about narcissism is such a good point. Self knowledge is overrated. Actually, I mean, I know Calvin liked it. I know the Bible calls. I know we should have self-knowledge. But what I mean by that is there's a narcissistic way to just pursue self-knowledge as an end in and of itself. That's right. God's, you know, true religion is this. Love God, love your neighbor. You can do both of those and you need to know yourself well enough to know to do those. And of course, we grow in self-awareness as we become better Christians, as we're sanctified. But God does not grant us perfect knowledge of ourselves. There are good reasons for that. 
And it is narcissistic to simply spend time, too much time, pondering the great mystery that is you. Well, but Nathan, the reason that I like these tests is because they give me insights into other people. And I have more compassion for them after I, I you know, I figure out what number they are or what ENTFJHI they are. Guess or what? Whatever. You're responsible for loving them no matter what their number is or their personality type. Right. Did so, you know that? So are you saying that I shouldn't look for any help in loving them better through things like this? We've mean. never once said that. <laughs> no. We've never once said that. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be being a little devilish right now. <laughs> Listener, you decide. <laughs> All right. Fair, Jake. I accept. I accept my responsibility. Well, and I, I also said a little side point. Oftentimes in my life, I'll just speak for myself here. It's been God's mercy that he hasn't allowed me to see certain things about myself. Because I would have been given over to despair if I knew how sinful I was, if I knew how stupid I was being. He's actually given me self-knowledge in bursts over time as I'm able to handle it with Hmm. maturity. And I think that's part of how God works. And to demand a complete self-knowledge at any given time just is, is, is not helpful. Yeah. Now, listen, I know that there are listeners out there that took a personality test and God used it to humble them and show them things about themselves that other people have said about them that maybe they didn't believe mm-hmm. to be true. And I don't think that, that anything that we have said invalidates that sort no. of thing at all. All no, we no. are saying at the end of the day is, hey, good tools make terrible masters. Yeah. And that's a thing that we say a whole lot. And so you can use personality test as a good tool. It just can't be a master. You have to be mastered by scripture, by God's word. And you have to be oriented around the people that actually love you and care about you and that know you in real life, not mm-hmm. dead mystical weirdos like Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. Right. And the the other part of that is that some personality tests may be better suited to be masters than to be good tools. Right. And you yeah. should know the difference. Right. It's like that smart hammer that keeps track of how much you're using it and reports back to your boss. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's their smart tools. Oh, no. Now they're developing they're smart, smart tools. tools. Yeah, that oh, gauge boy. worker performance. The gauge wow. performance. Like Enneagram, I think, is a little bit more like that. <laughs> <laughs> and your boss is Carl Young. Super tyrannical, <laughs> weird <laughs> stuff. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. We'll be back in a couple weeks. But hey, listen, good tools, bad masters. The reason we did this episode is because we like personality tests, actually. We always, yeah. me and Jake are always talking about ENF, whatever. And yeah. And, I, and I'm on a heroic quest for personal self-development i'm going to become (laughs) an awesome version of me you (laughs) listeners you're along for the ride or actually i I guess you're not because i i don't think that's a good idea after all so (laughs) (laughs) thanks ben (laughs) any any time Sound Insanity was produced by Nathan, executive produced by Jake and Nathan, associate performed, I think we decided, <laughs> produced, performed by, uh, <laughs> conceived of by Benjamin J. Solzer. Support us at patreon.com forward slash Sound Insanity. Leave us a nice review on iTunes, five stars, write a little nice thing about us if you like. And until next time, stay sane.